welcome to another Round the Rotary podcast with me, your host, J.P. Warren, and I'm very excited about today's uh, podcast. It's kind of a, it's a little off the topic than what we actually, it's not really off the topic, seeing how that Round the Rotary has kind of become a little, uh, it's kind of, it's grown its own uh, bourbon, uh, people contributing when guests come on, which is never asked, but it's always greatly appreciated. We're actually recording this in High, Texas. Mm-hmm. At the Garrison Brothers uh, Distillery and Ranch, right? Yes, sir. Is that what it's called? So before we begin, I got to say that Round the Rotary podcast is brought to you by Capital Petroleum Consultants, CPC specialized in project engineering and well site supervision in all disciplines of the oil and gas industry. Contact us through www.capitalpetroleumconsultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. And everyone, uh, first off, I want to thank Garrison Brothers and the entire team here. uh, We've been up here for about three hours now. I don't even know that. And uh, uh, we have uh, Emma Khan, who is a bourbon crusader, joining us uh, today at, uh, on Round the Rotary, who actually, um, many don't know that she also is a fellow Westport Tyrion, where I grew up in Connecticut. So it's just through a small world she came down here and uh, started kind of uh, getting into a Actually, I'm going to let her kind of uh, dive us in that. But anyway, this is a special bourbon episode because we are doing this in the office at the Garrison Brothers Distillery in High Texas. And it's such a cool spot. So we're recording this. We've got some bourbon right here that we're going to discuss and we're going to get into. But Emma, kick us off. Tell us where you're from and kind of what brought you to where you're at today. Yeah. So um, like we said, my name is Emma Khan. My current title with Garrison Brothers the Bourbon Crusader. I've had many over the years. Did you pick that uh, title? I did not. I okay. picked my last ones. Um, my last title uh, was the Barrel Baroness, okay. which I chose, okay. which is my Instagram handle, if okay. you want to follow me. Okay. Uh, we will. Which has been super fun. That was my favorite one. But when I, and I'll get, I'll get into this when we get there, but I transitioned into a new role last year and they made me change it. When last year? Uh, January. So right before <laughs> right COVID. Hit. Right before COVID. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah, like you said, I grew up in Westport. Uh, go Wreckers. Go Wreckers. My dad still lives up there. Uh, he lives right by the beach. Okay. So yeah, my family uh, is still up in uh, Milford right now, right, a little down the road. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Milford is much more chill. It's a lot more chill than a lot Westport. more chill than Westport. It is. But anyway, but. so it's a real small world. Westport's a small town yes. uh, up in Connecticut, and it's just random that you are here working here, and we grew up in the same town several years apart, but still, you don't meet anyone from Westport down here. No, you don't, and I'm kind of it's kind usually of cool. glad about that. I mean, you're an exception, me. 100%. You're okay. an exception, but most of, them, most of the time, I'm like, every time I see a Connecticut license plate down here, and I'm like, get out of my Texas. Don't bring your like, politics to my state. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. No, but... Uh, so, I mean, after I graduated in 2015 from uh, Staples, um, I went to college in a small liberal arts school in Ohio mm-hmm. um, and called the College of Worcester. It's in the uh, northeast corner. Everyone right, knows the College out. of Worcester. Yeah. No, they don't. Everyone's familiar with no, it. No. It's like 2,000 people. The entire campus is a mile long. Okay. Uh, and it is uh, just one of the top premier research uh, colleges okay. out there so i had to write a thesis to graduate okay which is just wild and we have a uh, we have a, can you explain who else is in the room with us yeah today? so my dog percy is with us and he's being a little jerk percy you is hear the, him crying percy is the garrison brothers uh ranch dog if you ever see this little corgi mix running around make sure you mm-hmm. throw the ball and, and pet this puppy because it is yeah. a sweet sweet guard dog yes he is being he's a pain in the butt ultimately 
But he wants to go outside, but we can't let him outside. So no, no, okay. too many cars. <laughs> okay, all right. So safety, but, safety first uh, here, Garrison. Yes, Brothers. we don't want any flattened doggies. Okay. Um, but while I was in college, um, I had the opportunity to uh, go to Scotland. Okay. Where I actually finished my degree, which I have a degree in philosophy and religious studies okay. from the College of Worcester, and um, I my junior year I went over to. Uh, Edinburgh. Okay. And I took... Um, so why'd you choose Edinburgh? Was it just... It was one of those things like, I just want to go study abroad or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I knew it? I wanted to go abroad. Um, and uh, I knew... This may sound shallow, but I definitely wanted to go somewhere that spoke English. Okay. Um, just so I could really... I don't think that's shallow, but okay. Thank you. Um, I really wanted to immerse myself in the culture and, and have fun. And um, the University of Edinburgh actually has one of the best schools in the world for general religious studies. So this had nothing so, to do nothing with, to do with whiskey no. or anything like that. I fell in love with whiskey when I went over there. Tell us that. Before that, my experience was college, which okay. we don't need to Yeah, it's, a little, it's like pop-pop, like whiskey. I get it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, Trash it's, cans, it, yeah. jungle juice. Yeah. It's college yeah. whiskey. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I went over there and um, I spent about nine months. There, I spent a good portion of the summer before I started university just traveling as okay. much as I could. Okay. And um, the way I traveled was through bus tours, which is the only thing I could afford, and it ended up being one of the best decisions that I have ever made because um, not only do you not have to drive, but the tour guides over there are so knowledgeable. You, they have all of these degrees about history and like folklore and everything like that. And they're just really a true wealth of knowledge. And you're almost guaranteed to stop at at least one distillery on every okay. tour you go on. Okay. So my first one I went on, I was actually with my mother. She was visiting with me before I started university. And we did a five-day trip up through the highlands and into the Isle of Skye. Okay. And that was... Well, on our first day, we stopped at uh, Glen Goyne Distillery, um, and it was stunning. Beautiful. So beautiful. You had the rolling hills. There are sheep everywhere. Like, this, everything is so old. The distillery is like, older than, like, the United States. Exactly. There's, like, the tradition and the just yeah. passed down from generation to generation, and I'm taking all this in, and I'm, like, 22. No, I was not 22. I was... 20. Okay. So I couldn't even drink yet, like in the United States. Okay, in the States. Like in the States. I was good over there. But um, we did the tour, and I'm like, this is great. This product's going to be amazing. I'm going to love it. I'm going to be that person that loves scotch. Um, and they br brought us into this big barn that had all these tables, like long tables in there. And they set down our little, your little Glencairn glass with your eyedropper of water, which all scotch is. So you need to open do. it up. It opens it up. Mm -hmm. yep. Exactly. I took my first sip. And hated it. Okay. Absolutely hated it. Okay. It tasted like burning rubber and like just dirt. Okay. And like, and it's not a peated. Those are very complex flavors you're discussing. Yeah. Burning rubber, dirt, dirt. Trash. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not a peated scotch. Glengoyne Distillery is uh, a Highland uh, distillery, so they're they don't use the peat, so it's not smoky. It's just it's a little sweet. tasted like that, um, which it doesn't taste like that to me now. But that being the first sip of like actual real. Like whiskey I'd ever had, I was like, "Oh my goodness, why am I like this? Why does this? What is wrong with me that it tastes like this? It's because it's made in such a beautiful place and has all this culture." And I'm like, "I wish." How I could get is on. this happening? Um, luckily, I had a tour guide that took pity on me. 
and could see that I was really frustrated because I wanted to like all this stuff. So finally, we were sitting in the oldest pub in the Isle of Skye after a couple days of visiting all these distilleries. He sat me down. He goes, I'm going to teach you how to drink scotch the Scottish way. So he taught me. He started me off on Drambuie, which is a whiskey liqueur. Okay. Uh, scotch liqueur. Uh, and then we slowly moved into Rusty Nails, which are half Drambuie, half scotch. Okay. And then by the end of the night, I was drinking just like regular just scotch on its own. Pretty much anything tastes uh, good at that, that point in time. Yeah, yeah. You lose all like what, function of your legs. What is, and... the, what is the scotch way? So The I Scottish mean, way, I'm sorry. It takes forever. It takes absolutely forever, which is really frustrating because as I started meeting people in Scotland, including this tour guide that was teaching me this, they would tell me stories, the folklore yeah. and stories of the area, which Scotland just has a really wonderful folklore if you've never like i've done a lot of extra research right. into and read all these stories of fairies and wee people and princesses and mm-hmm. dragons and all this all clans fighting yeah. and all this stuff so they'd be in the middle of telling me the story this princess is about to be like abducted by their rival clan and they would stop and take a sip of their scotch and then they hold it in their mouth for like 10 seconds which is a long time in silence, and I'm just like standing there, like. So that makes me want to get what happened. What happened? Where's the princess at? But they're savoring their, their scotch. So that's the Scottish way. So it's it's one of those things you t- you take it, you put it in your mouth at the most crucial point of the story, yeah. and you let the audience wait mm-hmm. a little bit. That's good storytelling, though. Yeah, and they are good storytellers. Amazing yeah. storytellers, and it's even better when like. I mean, I was in the middle of the Isle of Skye, and I've already heard all this folklore of dragons coming down. That's why there's this huge pit in this mountain. And Naturally. Like, now they're telling me all this more folklore. I mean, this truly, like, like the Isle of Skye makes you believe in magic. Like It's just as beautiful. It's picturesque. It's so it's beautiful. beautiful. Um, so, yeah, that's where, I so, mean, so I did fell you, in love with so it. So did you fall in love with it there after hearing the folklore and kind of the seeing folklore, the process? Everything? Surrounded by gorgeous men in kilts, uh, playing the bagpipes. And, I mean, once you have an experience like that, it's really hard not to devote your life to it. You know, it really, you know, I mean, you're laughing about it, but it kind of is. Like, if you're around, like, you know, whether you're in Ireland or whether you're in Scotland or something mm-hmm. like that, or honestly, even watching a soccer game or a football game and, like, England, like when you're around that 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 culture, that environment, uh, just the energy from that from that room, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you're like, okay, I want to get into this. So it, it does kind of bring a sense of like, this is how it's done. You kind of like, and that stays with you a little bit. It does. Yeah, it really yeah. does. So, so you fell in love with it there. Fell in love with it over there. I came back. Um, graduated. Uh, yep, came back. Graduated. Wrote my thesis. Um, graduated. All that good stuff, and then. Once I was kind of like figuring out what I wanted to do with my very useful philosophy and religious studies degree. A lot of philosophy factories opening up. Yes, uh, of course. And which I truly believe is like people with philosophy, more people need to study philosophy. I love philosophy. So uh, Alan mm -hmm. Watts, for example. Mm -hmm. You you know Alan Watts? I've read a little bit of him. I mean, I Mm -hmm. I, I listen to his his lectures. I just downloaded one of his books. I have one of his books at the house. Like he's, he he teaches the Zen Taoist way of, uh, Mm -hmm. to like the Western. Anyway, I I agree. Philosophy is just a unique way to reframe certain things in your your world. And I mean, it teaches you how to think, which is honestly something that is lost. Oh, I agree. (laughs) I agree. And people these days. Well, people these days, the people think, uh, um, they're told what to think through social media. Yeah. You know what I mean? Through the news. Like, oh, this this is happening, and this should really piss you off. It's like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, it shouldn't piss me off. Let me think about that a little bit. So I completely yeah. agree. People need to think and uh, not voice their opinion, especially if they don't know what they're disagreeing with. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Amen to that. Um, so 
but after after college, um, I ended up uh, being recruited by this organization called City Year, which is run through um, AmeriCorps, okay. which is a government-funded program that also does like Teach for America and yeah. the Peace Corps yeah, and okay. all that good stuff, um, where they take young people between the ages of 18 and, uh, I believe, 23, and they put them into low-income school systems to act as a like a extra classroom help where you're a near-peer mentor and okay. tutor. Uh, to kids. Okay. Um, I was recruited by them. I was a coach in college and I was a peer mentor and did all this other stuff. So they were like, pick a place you want to go. And like, it's yours. off you go. Okay. Yeah. Um, and which was way better sounding than moving back to Westport and trying to get a job in New York City. Oh, yeah. And uh, then waking up at 4 a.m. doing the commute and getting home when everyone's, uh, oh yeah. Oh, my goodness. I know. Was, uh, my, oh my dad God. did that. Yeah. Which, good for him. Yeah, like, sure. Because it's awful. <laughs> it, it ain't my game. This is my game right now. Having a podcast with you and having mm-hmm. some bourbon. That's exactly. my game right now. Um, so you chose I, Texas. I chose Texas. And they were like, okay, so San Antonio has been rocking and rolling. Uh, San Antonio was one of the first sites for, of City Year. Um, and they happened to be just opening um, up a new site in Dallas. It okay. was their first year ever going into the schools. And they were like, we need some strong people to go there. Would you be interested? And I was like... I've never been to Texas before. My, I've, I've, at that time, I was like, this is just going to be a year of my life. I might as well go somewhere. Get the experience. Yeah, go somewhere new. Uh, so I picked up and moved to, moved to Dallas. But you already had that sense of uh, taking yourself out of your comfort zone and placing yourself in, in, in foreign environments. Because Texas yeah. is its own country, whether it you really like it or is. not. I so, think I, had more cult- I definitely had more culture shock moving here. Than versus I did. Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. 100%. Okay. Especially, Dallas wasn't bad, but when I moved out to Hill Country, it was like, whoa. <laughs> Different culture. Yeah. So, But I ended up getting a part-time job uh, at a distillery in Dallas while I was doing City Year. Um, what led you to get this part-time job at a distillery? Was it your love um, for, for scotch from Edinburgh, or was it just like, hey, I need some extra cash? A little of both. Okay. Uh, they only paid me $450 every two weeks okay. to do City Year, which is not enough to live in DFW. Right. Um, so I was like... I need a part-time job. What would be something that's fun that I can do on the weekends? So I just Googled distilleries in Dallas and a couple popped up. Okay. And um, one happened to be hiring and it was uh, at that point they were called Witherspoon. Okay. They're in North Dallas uh, in a little town called Louisville. Was it bourbon? Was it vodka? Because mm-hmm. there's Maybe. been a huge Texas vodka push as well. Yeah, there has been with the rise of Tito's and all that Tito's, good stuff. Tito's. But uh, yeah. they made bourbon, single malt, and rum. Okay. So, so you're not familiar with bourbon yet. You know the scotch. I knew scotch. I was super familiar with that. I knew a little bit about bourbon um, just from like being interested. Uh, but I got a job selling shirts and bottles there on the weekends. Um, and then I really fell in love with the industry. Like Once I had my feet in, I just dove right in and started doing all this research. And then I started talking too much. So they made me a tour guide. Okay. And then once I finished my year of service, they uh, hired me full time as their tour director. Okay. So I ran their tour program for about a year. Uh, so you got out of this the this, this school uh, program. I did my year of service. I did okay. my year of. Uh, they just asked for a That's year. That's what it is. A year mm-hmm. of service. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm a year you. of service. Um, you can do too, but I was like, it was it was a lot for me. I was in a I was in a seventh grade writing classroom in South Dallas, which is a. Uh, very rough neighborhood. Okay. So, and I love, I still keep in contact with a few of my students and they're like, Miss Emma, did we drive you to drink? And I'm like, uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, once I finished my year of service, I started working with them full time. Um, I left them 
uh, after about a year and a half and started working with a brewery called okay. Noble Ray, okay. which was so much fun. That's where I really fell in love with fermentation. Okay. Uh, Noble Ray did all these crazy experimental beers of like like uh, rhubarb sours, like golden sours made with champagne yeast, like peanut butter and jelly. So it was just all over the and, board, yeah, creative. It was so much fun. Yeah. And I had a blast working for them. And my mother uh, moved to Austin in 2017. Okay. And she called me up one day and she's like, hey, why don't you drive on out and we'll do like a hill country weekend. And I said, sure. Like that would be super fun. One condition. Can we please go to Garrison Brothers? Why? Um, Garrison Brothers is just a powerhouse. And what, you, what, in the what year is this? This is 2017. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Garrison Brothers is just a powerhouse in the bourbon industry. Okay. We're the first legal bourbon distillery in Texas. First legal bourbon distillery. Well, we're, listen, we're going to get. In, let's talk about you. I know. We're going to get into. The, we're going to get into plugging Garrison a little bit, but I like. Yeah. I like it. You're trying to bring it in first. Let's, yeah. So anyway, so let's. Um, Mom, let's go to the Garrison. Yeah, I wanted to go to Garrison Brothers, and she was like, "Fine by me." She's a whiskey lover as well. Okay. So. Um, we came out here. We're doing the tour. It was a absolute beautiful day in September, um, and our same scenery. Has the same scenery, or have they built a couple more things around here? Nope, same scenery. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. cool. Exactly the same as what you saw today. And uh, my mom uh, got had was a little too passionate about her uh, quality control of the bourbon, and uh, we took our tour. Which at that point there were only nine people working on the ranch. So okay. our tour guide was our hospitality director. Her name was Caitlin. And Caitlin was going on, and I'm just in complete awe of this establishment. Uh, coming from, like, the small distillery I was at to such a, like, a larger operation where everything is just done by hand with the highest quality of everything. I'm like, I got to be a part so of this. So you came into this actually knowing a little bit about this. And the next thing mm-hmm. you know, you're exposed to the processes here at Garrison Brothers, and you're like... Holy shit! This is this, this is, is next level. This is this is yeah. the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a sports so, reference. I don't do sports, yeah. but it's a sports. No, I'm reference. a big Yankees fan. So okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that point, I had been running this tour program for this other distillery for over a year and a half. Um, so I was already <clears throat> very familiar with the process. With the pro- yeah. yeah, I knew the process and everything like that. So, but coming and seeing it done this way was just. It blew my mind. Another level. And my mom, speaking in cursive in our bottling room, she's asking, like, how is it possible that all of you, like, there's only nine people working here, and you guys are becoming so popular. How are you pulling this off? And Caitlin is like, you know, I'm actually looking looking to hire someone else in hospitality to help us out. So I whipped around. I stuck my hand out, introduced myself. I sent her my resume that evening. I had a phone interview with Dan Garrison, our owner, that Friday, this was Saturday. This was, yep, it was Saturday. Had a phone interview with Dan that next Friday. Came back out to the property the following Friday, and they uh, hired me on the spot with the condition that I wouldn't tell anyone that Dan hired a Yankee. Oh, okay. Which okay. is just, it's too late. <laughs> well, now, now we're on the podcast. You've heard it here You've first. Heard it around here. the rotary. <laughs> someone's from Connecticut. Yeah, so I started off with a tour guide uh, with Garrison Brothers. And what year was this? was, 20, this was 2017. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was the 10th employee. I was the 12th employee overall in Garrison Brothers, 10th on the ranch. That is so mind-blowing that there's the, the – first off, you you took us, my wife and I, on this awesome tour. I 
don't know how long it was. I think it was two and a half hours. And everyone we bumped into was so friendly, down to earth. It seems like more like of a family here. Yeah. And it's just like, you, you feel that when mm-hmm. you're here. You, you feel everyone jive. You feel everyone kind of work together as a family, which is awesome. Yeah. But it's just like, it's mind-boggling. Hey, Pierce is okay. <laughs> Puppy's all right. So you'd keep doing it. Let's get him a mic. So, uh, <laughs> so it's like... It's shocking that there's only nine or twelve people at that time that are just mm-hmm. running running this type this of operation. Company. Yeah. I mean now it's what now there's what, fifteen? Sixty five oh, people. That much growth for Garrison Brothers. Okay, well let's get let's get into the yeah. growth after this. So anyway, so uh, I started as a tour guide and then in twenty eighteen we quadrupled production. We went into uh, twenty four hours, so we added a night shift and we also added a whole mess of equipment to increase our production. So was uh, that was that capacity. was that driven off of what, what uh, they were seeing on demand? Or mm-hmm. is that just one of those things where it's like, hey, Berman's taken off, let's get in on this? Or it was is a it... little of both. Okay. It was a little of both. Um, Garrison Brothers was definitely starting to get a lot of traction um, and becoming a known brand. Yeah. People are becoming, at that point, people were kind of like, what's, what's going on in Texas? What's Texas and Burma? now people are like, what is Texas? Like, um, but at that point, they were preparing. Uh, and at the time, I was living in a tin single wide on a 12-acre cattle ranch off the side of the highway with my annoying little dog, Percy. And there's not that much to do out here um, except winery hop and drink bourbon. Right. So in the evenings... Which is why I, was, I love it here. Yeah. It's wonderful during the day. In the evenings, you're like, I don't know really what... I don't know what to do with myself. So I would just hang out with a night crew. Um, our other female distiller, Samantha Olvera, was uh, one of our leading night shift people, okay. her and uh, J.D. Anderson, who you guys oh, met. met. Yep. Um, and I would hang out with, with Sam, and you also met Cody. Um, and they just, I would ask so many questions. I wanted to learn how to distill really badly. And Sam was really good about answering my questions, but then Cody was like, I'll just show you so that next time you can just do it for me. Yeah, make, you know, make uh, his job a little bit easier. Yeah. So, you know what's interesting about that, though? And again, I'm going to tie this back into oil and gas real mm-hmm. quick uh, around the Rotary podcast. It's, <laughs> it's interesting because, like, you know, so often when there's downtime, I mean, for example, COVID, no one's really getting out. No one's really, they're not drilling wells, they're not completing wells or anything like that. But it's, it's interesting that taking the initiative, and again, this is, uh, it's not just our industry, it sounds like it's every industry, taking mm-hmm. the initiative, it's like, you know, I don't have a lot going on. I'm going to see if I can uh, learn something or help out this other person that is doing something I completely don't even understand. So yeah. it's, it's just, it's taking that initiative and that step to say, hey, what's going on? What, what are you doing here? Like, teach me about this. And that's, and, and you find that through so many different people's career and paths that that, that mm-hmm. was one of the things that like pushed them to where yeah. they're at today. Yeah. People ask me all the time, like, how do I get involved in the spirits industry? How do I get involved in the alcohol industry, especially on the brewery and distillery level? And I'm like, go volunteer your time. Yeah. And people are like, what? You want me to go give my time for free and like just clean up? And I'm like, yes, that is how you learn. And you can prove to the company like, hey, I love your product. I'm devoted. Like, I want to learn more. Yeah. Like, and then when time comes, when they need extra hands, they're going to ask you first. Yeah. So that's what happened to me in production. When we expanded and needed more production operators, um, I went up to our master distiller, Donis Todd, and was like, would you consider me for a full-time production operator? And he was like, Absolutely. You're already trained. I don't have to run an ad in the paper. Like, you're hired. When do you want to start? Okay. (laughs) So, um, I moved from 
down the hill in hospitality. So down, so up the hill. So for those of you that don't know, real quick, so there's definitely a down the hill gathering, and that's where you have your shops, your gift shop, and you have this beautiful scene where you can just kind of sit around, sip on bourbon or beer, water, whatever you feel like, and then up the hill. That's when that's where the operations are. That's when you mm-hmm. have the, uh, the. Yep, it's about a quarter mile up the hill. Quarter mile <laughs> up the hill, and uh, that's kind of where the operations are. So you took yourself mm-hmm. out from, I guess, the uh, the day to day down here and put yourself into the operations. Of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yep. All right. So uh, for two and a half years, did you I, love it? I loved it. I had an absolute blast. I ran what, our. What uh, about what about it? Did you love? I just loved having my hands on the bourbon. Okay. I ended up having my uh, history in beer. Um, I fell in love with our fermentation room and ended up just really claiming it okay. as my own. Okay. And I ended up doing a lot of research for the company and especially with our, when we added our 2000 gallon fermentations, they are just wild. They are, they have minds of their own. They are no, they're like toddlers. The second you like take your eyes off of them, like they're off and running. Okay. Like, so, um, I ended up doing a lot of research, uh, for the company with that. Uh, I met with some engineers, which was super fun. Uh, and I learned how to distill. Russell taught me how to distill. Who you guys met? He was the the butcher for twenty years. Oh yeah, that, he's the super tall cowboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Who knows how d- deep the uh, water well is? Yes, he knows nine thousand nine hundred eighty feet. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, I learned how to distill, but I just really just fell in love with fermentation, and so I did that for a while. Uh, and then the company ran into this problem where the average bourbon consumer is just so much more knowledgeable about the product because than they used be- to be. Because it became a passion and a hobby for a lot of exactly. people. Exactly. That's kind of what got me kicked off is Tyler Schultz. I mean, uh, the guy mm-hmm. that I showed you that built the uh, bourbon show. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of he's kind of started me out. And, and it does become a passion. It becomes a... a kind of a hot like a little subculture hobby i mean you got exactly. trading groups you have yeah people want to know yeah mm-hmm. and they have great technical questions and except they for just, the rainwater question. except for the time somebody asked me where our rainwater comes from right that yeah. guy yeah so we we're doing yeah. a tour and my wife wanted to ask a question i said babe there's no stupid questions and it was like well actually there might be one. one somebody <laughs> asked where the rainwater comes from Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you're falling in love with it. Yep. You're learning about this. Learning you're meeting about with engineers. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the company was like, "Hey, we need uh, another person with your with that is able to go into the market and have these technical conversations with these people um, that are just wild about our product and would they wanted to know if I would be interested in something like that. And the plan was for me to travel all over the country, um, eventually travel to Europe. And start spreading the gospel of Texas bourbon. Uh, and wow. I started this job. I started the job in January of 2020. What happened? The wo- what, happened? what happened? Here we are. Here comes the uh, one of your mentors in here that I taught know. you everything you know. <laughs> um, yeah, the world stopped turning. Uh, so what? With COVID. So, so what did you do? Um, so you get in this new job in January, and your job is mm-hmm. to travel, spread the word, spread the gospel to Garrison Brothers. Next thing you know, the world's on lockdown. So. What happened with that with Garrison Brothers? So I was incredibly lucky. Uh, Garrison Brothers um, chose to keep their people over money. So they actually stopped production and to retain their entire staff. So And, and so uh, to, to highlight the importance of that is uh, for bourbon, it's all about aging. It's the aging process. Mm-hmm. So and, and obviously with this bourbon boom that's going on right now. You lose production, then you're not getting those barrels yeah. aged. So you just ha- there's nothing you can do besides wait, right? So the fact that making the decision to re- retain the employees and stop mm-hmm. production, that's I, to me that's huge. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 that speaks yeah. volumes about who you are. I mean, with. Garrison Brothers is one of those companies that they are they put their people first. I mean, like Dan, 
Of course. All right. Uh, Dan and his wife, Nancy, like they, they know my entire family. They know what's going on in my personal life and they're really invested in it and they truly, truly care. So it was a very easy decision for them. And tell me about that. I mean, that decision, I mean, so that decision was easy for them, but for a lot of people, I mean, you're running a company, you're running a company, mm-hmm. the decision to shut down operations and in the, in the bourbon industry, you shut it down. Tell, tell me about the potential, I guess, um, downfall or, or, um, uh, what are the, not results, but what, I guess what are the consequences of yeah. shutting down? So uh, production we shut down for a couple months. Okay. So that means in four, four or five years, we don't have product. So we have to figure out how we're going to ultimately bridge this gap, which we will absolutely do. Right. Um, but when you have like, it's, it's a problem for tomorrow. But yeah. I mean, in the whiskey industry in general, you have to think on your timeline that you're thinking ahead in Texas, we only have to think four years ahead because we can our bourbon matures faster than because, other parts of the world because the the weather, the Texas mm-hmm. weather, exactly. God, I don't want to get into so much. With you, <laughs> so keep keep going, then let's get into Garrison. Um, as opposed to in Kentucky, where you have to think like 10, 12 years ahead, or in Scotland, you're thinking twenty years ahead. So um, that's your timeline. So we're lucky that we only have to think about four years ahead, but, uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, we're going to make it work. We're yeah. going to make, we got, we, as soon as we could, we immediately started making product again and it's going to be great. I'm so excited to kind of see that, 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 that dip in Garrison brothers. And next thing you know, people will be collecting and this, mm-hmm. and that, that's going to kind of, I feel like that's going to be a cool part of y'all's history. Yeah. That being said, let's get into Garrison brothers. Yeah. Tell, tell me about Garrison brothers and the, and, the, and the history behind Texas bourbon, if you don't mind. Yeah. So Garrison brothers is the first legal bourbon distillery in Texas. Um, we're also the first legal bourbon distillery outside of Kentucky and Tennessee since the end of prohibition. So let's talk about this prohibition ended when 1933. And so this is the first Texas bourbon distillery legal mm-hmm. in Texas. And when did you, when did Garrison brothers open up? So we just our first, first legal batch in December of 2006. So that's an insane amount of, of time between, I guess, the you know when it was mm-hmm. prohibition stopped to where we're at now. Why did, it, why did no one else have the idea to open up a, a bourbon distillery in Texas? Because to this day, people still believe that you can only make bourbon in Kentucky. So is that just kind of like a rumor or like a hard belief? Like, like Pretty a, much. Like a personal truth? Like, oh, no, it's true. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're seeing that being yeah. very wrong right now. So tell me kind of, uh, walk me through this. Yeah. So I actually used to keep the TTB report uh, on my fo- open on my phone when I was doing tours because you get so much pushback from people. Like, there's you can't call your product bourbon. Like, you can't do this because it has to come from Kentucky. And I'd be like, and then you explain, like, Kentucky bourbon can only come from Kentucky. And we wouldn't be here without the people in Kentucky. Uh, we are extremely grateful for our resources and our people that have mentored us to be the distillery that we are today. Um, but can you get into that? Can yeah. you talk to me about uh, um, uh, what was the gentleman's name? Dan, mm-hmm. who went up there. Tell me about tell me about how Garrison Brothers got kicked off and how it started. Yeah. that's such a cool story on who we trained under and who we worked with. So uh, Dan Garrison's story. Uh, with bourbon starts in the late 90s. He was working for a marketing company and he was watching the rise of this thing called the internet. Uh, And I know it's this wild thing. Um, And he's watching all these young people make more money than him. And he's like, "Uh, I want in. 
Uh, so he left his job and started working with another company where he was in charge of all of their marketing. And they would do all these uh, digital projects, building trading platforms and all this fun stuff. And the company was wildly successful. Um, and they were bought out by another company in California, which was super exciting yeah. for Dan. He had, all, he had acquired all these stock shares and he was ready to ride off into the sunset that's with everyone's wife and dream kids. too that's everyone's dream to sell and you're like oh yeah it's yeah. coming yeah so typical when a uh, business sells you have a clause that says you have to wait a certain amount of time to cash all of your shares which is very I mean that's just what happens so yep. Dan only had to wait about six months which is not a long time not a long time so he's like what could happen in six months so he, him and his wife, Nancy, are planning what boat they're going to buy, what Ivy League school kids, uh, what Ivy League schools their kids are going to go to. Uh, they were planning their like ranch in Fredericksburg and all this good stuff. And then in 2001, uh, this little company in Houston called Enron collapsed. The mom and pop shop. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan's company wrote the entire trading platform for Enron. Uh, so when they were exposed, Dan's company went down in a fiery blaze of glory and Dan found himself owing the IRS hundreds of thousands of dollars. So he went to the government and he's like, this is what I can give you. Take it or you won't get anything. Uh, and they took it. They forgave the rest of his debt and he did what any responsible husband and parent of two toddlers would do. And he went and got drunk on the Kentucky bourbon trail. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of my buddies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his trip was only supposed to last a week, but it ended up lasting an entire month. Okay. Uh, on Dan's first day there, he walked into Maker's Mark. And Dan is one of those people where you meet him, he's just like a tour de force. Like, he takes over the entire room. He's extremely charismatic. and like He, he just, just got that presence and energy that people were like, man, I want to talk yeah. to this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and he'll tell you that when he tells the story, he's like, a choir of angels followed me into this distillery. Um, and he realized his true calling. So during his month-long stint and for many more visits to come, not only did Dan befriend the master distiller at Maker's Mark, but also uh, Elmer Teeley over at Buffalo Trace. Oh. And these men not only taught Dan how to make bourbon, but ultimately gave him their blessings to come back to Texas and start a bourbon distillery of his own. And one thing that I asked Emma, um, I guess when so I've heard all this and I'd love to hear it again. But one thing that I asked Emma was like, hey, look, if he went there, learned all this stuff, learned how to you know distill, make bourbon and all stuff, and he didn't get the approval of these master distillers at Buffalo Trace and Maker's Mark, do you think he would have come back to Texas and kicked off uh, Garrison Brothers Distillery? Um, I honestly don't. I don't think he would have or would have taken a just we wouldn't have been the first. Right. Um, because Balcones was hot on our heels. OK. Uh, when we were opening up. So we got our DSP before them uh, and then they came in a couple of months later and then they released the first Texas bourbon bottle in the market. So there's a very friendly rivalry yeah. uh, between the two distilleries. But um, it definitely pushed him to follow his dreams and to be meeting uh, Elmer T. Lee at his favorite uh, steakhouse whenever he would go up and uh, go up to Kentucky, which was Dan claims to be Applebee's. Um, and plus, was, if you get that type of blessing, too, that's what yeah. it's like, hey, I, I've worked with these. Like, I, they taught me everything. They're like, I kind of have to do this now. Mm-hmm. It's a responsibility that I have to do this. So when you come to Texas, people are like, oh, can you have bourbon, Texas? <laughs> Tell us why not. Why is bourbon a uh, – give, give us give us that. Yeah, so, um, I mean, bourbon – has just a plethora of rules that you have to abide by in order to call your product as such. And so the Congress um, actually deemed uh, bourbon as a mm-hmm. U.S. 
yep. product. In 1964, uh, President Lyndon Baines Johnson declared bourbon a national product. So what that means that you can make bourbon anywhere in the United States as long as you are within uh, what is classified as the 50 states. Okay. So until Texas secedes again we're good. Um, but even if you follow the rest of the rules and you are in Japan, uh, you cannot call your product bourbon because of that geographical, um, location rule or element of it. Okay. So it's a completely protected American product. Um, which is, which is awesome. But, um, God bless the USA. So, so he's coming here. So he, when does he start this, uh, tell tell us about the land, the kind of history of it. Then let's talk about the process and then let's talk about the taste. So uh, we own 70 acres uh, that the distillery sits on itself uh, in this little town in the hill country called High. That's spelled H-Y-E. And then we actually, Dan and his wife Nancy, own another 200 across the street. Um, which we are just waiting to see what they're going to do. And that's, with. But, the, the, but previously you said that's where the wheat was. Yeah, we used growing. to grow our wheat over there. Yeah. Um, however, we quickly outgrew how much we could harvest. Okay. So um, it's kind of just chilling over there. Uh, we do a lot of hunting over there at the moment. A lot of our guys um, have their hunting license and they'll go and uh, get whitetail and that's what they eat for the entire year. And someone and makes really good uh, yes, deer Russell jerky. Yes, Russell makes the best deer jerky. So pretty much everything in this in, in this Garrison Brothers bottle, how mu- people say, oh, Texas whiskey, you know, mm-hmm. Texas bourbon, all this stuff. And nor- sometimes that's not really the case. It's not really true Texas bourbon. Can you talk mm-hmm. to me how this is a true Texas bourbon? Yeah, so with the rise of... With the rise of Texas bourbon and its popularity and all these wonderful distilleries popping up um, and people kind of being like, whoa, Texas, um, a lot of people wanted to jump on this bandwagon. And um, there's this trend in the industry, uh, which is actually really, really common once you start to like take the blindfold off. Um, but they source their product, which means, whoa. They source their product, which means they are buying it from another place, um, and then somebody wants to come in, too. No. Anyway. So So sourcing is when you buy it from another place. Uh, A very common place that people buy it is a huge distillery out of Indiana called MGP. Um, and you smack a label on there. You call it Texas bourbon just because you bottled it here, and you kind of get to reap the benefits of being this oddity that is Texas whiskey. And it's and it, the whole process is not how it's it done is here. Completely untrue. Okay. Uh, so Garrison Brothers is a true grain to glass Texas product. All of our grain comes from Texas. We do every step of the process from the milling, cooking, fermenting, distilling, aging. It is all done on our property here. And it led Dan and a few other Texas distilleries that were kind of doing it the quote unquote honest way to um, find, uh, they found this organization called the Texas Whiskey Association. Okay. And, um, you actually have a very strict set of rules that you have to kind of meet in order to be considered a certified Texas whiskey. And uh, the way, and once you meet these requirements, meaning you, it's, but basically you are truly, truly making it here, yeah. aging it here, um, you can put this fancy little sticker or this little mark on your bottle that says certified Texas whiskey. And it is a immediate note to the consumer, like, 
this is a product that was actually made here. So you get your corn from South Texas, you get your wheat here, you eat everything here mm-hmm. is sourced in Texas. Yeah, so our mash bill across the board, all of our uh, different bourbon expressions have the same mash bill, and then what kind of differentiates them is the aging process. Uh, we use 74% white corn, uh, 15% wheat, and 11% barley. Okay. All of our grain is food grade and also organic and non-GMO. Good. Um, yeah, so it's really the best grain that you can find uh we at garrison brothers believe that if you're going to make an incredible product it has to be amazing from the get-go which for all types of whiskey means your grain you know what's cool you know what's cool about this like i'm I'm looking for that stamp where's that stamp it's on the side of the bottle on the single barrel bottle okay so if if it's right here Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then on the small batch, it's like right on the front. So pretty much for those that are out there looking for, you know, obviously there's new bourbons coming in from Austin, for all that stuff. So in order to truly tell if it's actually a Texas whiskey, according by these guidelines and rules, there is a little stamp that kind of looks like a shield, and it's mm-hmm. a certified Texas whiskey. And what's cool about this, I was kind of looking at this while you are just talking, corn variety, food grade, number one white, yep. from farms in South Texas. So you yeah. can actually see where this mm-hmm. uh, the, the products came in to make yeah. this. So if you find an older bottle of Garrison Brothers, the corn... Uh, location will be different we used to partner with a really wonderful family-owned farm up in dallam county which is uh in the panhandle um and we've just expanded so much in the past couple years that the farm couldn't uh meet our orders anymore which is uh which was really a shame but we're very happy with the with the white corn that we're getting from south texas can you talk to me about i guess the uh, the 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 brand garrison brothers Mm -hmm. what first off what what is the 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 goal. What's 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 the story behind it? Besides, you know, going to learn all stuff. Like, it's a Texas. It's a Texas bourbon, mm-hmm. right? Primarily Texas bourbon. And I see there's y'all are kind of started expanding out a little bit to try different. Uh, uh, was it casking methods with yeah. different barrels with different stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to me about I guess the different products I guess Garrison Brothers offers and yeah. um, and. Just give me a little story about that. So ultimately, Garrison Brothers is a brand. It, um, on the back of every single one of our bottles, it says uh, good bourbon can change the world. Um, We believe that bourbon is, first and foremost, it's meant to be shared, bring people together, and create just amazing experiences and stories for for people to share. Um, So all you people that have a bottle at home that you're waiting to open, just open it and drink it, Um, which drives me nuts, even though I do that too. What, you just get a good bottle, you don't open it? Yeah, yeah. you're waiting for like a special occasion. Mm-hmm. Like just open it. Like you're yeah, gonna just enjoy open it. it and drink it. Like the one bottle that I'm re- I'm saving is my a couple of years ago. The company did a uh, special single barrel for my dog. Oh <laughs> for really? Percy. Um, and it has like so on the front of the single barrel bottle, you can see it has this custom label. So it said hand selected by Donis Todd and Percy the Distillery Dog. No. And uh, it was the first cast strength single barrel that we ever did. It was 127 proof. It yielded uh, just over 40 bottles the first time. And I took his little paw and I dipped it in silver paint and he's like signed every bottle. Um, so I haven't opened that I one yet. I wouldn't open that. Yeah. That's kind uh, of very sentimental, I feel like. Super sentimental. Yeah. And they did it again. They did a second release as well where they proofed it down to 94 because it was so popular. It sold out in like less than two days. Like they, and uh, so they did it again the following year and they proofed it down to 94 and we had over 100 bottles. Um, that one I've opened. Okay, uh, but the first one, yeah, I would leave. I can't, I would leave do that it. I can't bring myself to do it. But even though it's like, uh, it's supposedly very good. So but. right, so right now, you and I are sipping on uh, the Garrison uh, Brothers Small yeah. Batch, which is the most popular one. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the black wax. 
Yes. So all of our releases are differentiated by what color the wax is. So our small batch is kind of like our base bourbon. It's what we make the most of. It's what we sells the most. Um, and it's really just where our brand kind of starts. Um, the term small batch um, isn't actually a term that's uh, regulated. So kind what do you of, mean? So there's no like cap on how many barrels can actually go into a small mm, batch. So okay. ultimately what it is, it's a marriage of barrels that have been made at one distillery. Okay. So um, we've obviously made everything that's going in there and we're taking a portion of our barrels and marrying them together to create this unique flavor profile. Okay. Um, from there, we kind of move up to our single barrel, which is uh, our single uh, silver wax. Silver wax, yes. Mm-hmm. And the single barrel is just that. It is bourbon that comes from one unique barrel that we come across. So sometimes every barrel is different. Uh, barrels are like snowflakes. Um, they're all unique. They're, they're all unique. They're all different. And just because you fill two barrels on the same day with the same juice that came from uh, your distillation, even if they age next to each other, there is no promise that they'll come out tasting the same. Okay. So uh, Donis goes, he's like a living Rolodex of all of our barrels. Like he can tell you exactly, like you just name a number and he'll tell you where it is. Like it's kind of wild. Um, but as Donis is going through and tasting all of these barrels, he'll start to choose like, okay, I want this for our small batch. I want this for Balmeray. I want this for Honeydew. And then when you come across one where we're like, what happened here? Like, this is wild. It gets kicked into our single barrel program so we can showcase how, uh, how unique it is. So, so each, so each of these single barrels are going to taste different. Mm-hmm. I yeah. never knew that. So it's infuriating and also wonderful. Some people find it infuriating because there's no consistency. There's no consistency. Yeah. Exactly. If Unless- I'm, if, if I'm buying a bottle, I want to know what mm-hmm. relative, but this, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a fun, uh, yeah. A fun experiment because you never know. Yeah, and our single barrels like usually like fall into like one of three categories. They're either like really spicy and taste like we we've used rye. Okay. In it, they're really sweet um, and have like a really dominating uh, flavor, like maple or pecan pie or something like that. Or it's in the like I don't know what happened here. It's just uh, yeah. But it's usually one of those three. Okay. Uh, so, but I mean, when you pick up a bottle, unless you found one from the same barrel. It's going to be completely different. So we started here, mm-hmm. then here, and then uh, so we started small batch and we went to single barrel. So tell me about these other cool. You, you, you brought about four or five yeah. that just sound so exciting to try once, the, once, once, once you can find them. So mm-hmm. tell me about them real quick and tell, tell us also what's your favorite. So I guess I'll start with my favorite. My personal favorite is our Balmeray, um, which we get is spelled very oddly and people like it's named after Balmeray uh, uh, State Park, which is in what the big freshwater pool in West Texas. Okay. Dan and his brother Charlie uh, learned how to swim there, and it is just a beautiful um, Texas landmark. Okay. And so um, we named it after that. It has bright blue wax for the water of Balmeray. Okay. And it is a double barrel bourbon. Talk to me about that. So I didn't know about this until you told me. So mm-hmm. tell the listeners out there, what does that mean? A double barrel bourbon? Yeah. So we're using two barrels during this aging process. Well, so know, we age it in, <laughs> uh, we age the bourbon in one brand new barrel for about three years. And then we dump the bourbon out and then what's left, we put into another barrel, another brand new barrel for an additional year or more. So um, barrels are like tea bags. Uh, when you when you use a new barrel that first time, and you have to use a new barrel for bourbon. yes, but legally we have to use okay. new barrels. Um, 
when you use a new barrel, you're going, it's going to be extremely bold. So when you make a cup of tea, when you use that, those tea leaves the first time, right. you're going to get everything, yeah. every nuance, every like small detail about that tea, you're going to get into your little cup right. there. And it's the same with barrels. It is bold. It is in your face. It is sweet. It is spicy. You get everything. And you can absolutely use those tea leaves in that barrel again. However, when you do that, it's kind of just going to be Watered an echo down. Oh, of oh, what it was. An echo. I like um, so you can pick up on those caramel and vanilla and chocolate and cherry notes and all that good stuff. But it's just not going to be as in your face as bourbon is characteristically known for. And it's funny because obviously the scotch industry predominantly uses use bourbon barrels now, which is a pretty new innovation uh, in the scheme of yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because when you ask like a distiller in Scotland, they're like, Oh yeah, let the bourbon distillery take all that harshness out. And then we'll get the, what's left in that, those beautiful, subtle tones. But so, so. why, so why is this, this your favorite, the, the double barrel? So I love Balmeray. Uh, first and foremost, we do a lot of uh, philanthropic efforts with it. So every, for every bottle we sell, $5 gets donated back to Texas Parks and Wildlife. Okay. Um, right after we released Balmeray the first time back in 2017, um, the pool actually collapsed. Um, and it was just devastating to the Texas community because yeah. it's such a beautiful like landmark that is held in such high regard in so many people's right. hearts. And it collapsed um, and shut down ultimately, and they didn't have the money to rebuild it. So we started doing all of these fundraising efforts in order to preserve preserve it and it build it back up. So we had all these uh, pool parties across the state. We were holding all these dinners for Texas Parks and Wildlife, and we ended up raising over um, over $65,000 and, and more um, to rebuild this park. And we had um, another company come and match everything that we raised. So we are able to completely rebuild the park now and also sustain it for many years to come. Um, and we still, still to this day, every bottle you buy, $5 goes back. Sounds like, a, sounds like a good time with good cause. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's just a beautiful bourbon. It's 115 proof. Okay. Uh, but it does not taste like that Ex- at all. Okay. And it is... Um, extremely chocolate forward uh which is just wild okay this year's balmoray tastes like um cocoa powder so it's not sweet chocolate interesting um it's very it's almost uh i don't want to use the word bitter but i mean it's like dark chocolate that's not sweet um and it's really really wonderful last year's balmoray uh 2020 balmoray tasted like uh dark chocolate fudge and and it's oh you get the oak in there. And I the think spice. that's I think it's like, so cool the fact no matter like okay we do you know seventy five percent corn fifteen percent mm-hmm. this eleven percent this we're gonna put you have the exact same processes but yet at the end of the day um, I know there's some uh, there's a there's a level of comfort or acceptableness but like I love how it it, it, it changes throughout yeah. the, the, the the year you know that each year has a different each. Uh, barrel has a different flavor, mm-hmm. which is so cool and unique. I love. That. Yeah, it's my favorite part of the industry. Like, so you have you have that one. What's another we one? Have that one. Um, so we also have another uh, honey infused bourbon. Is that a yellow wax? I'd imagine it has yellow wax. There it's called go. Honeydew. It's spelled like Honeydew Melon, but it actually has to do with uh, Dan's wife Nancy had been telling Dan like we 
like we should really do a honey bourbon. I know it'll be great. But Dan for years was like, I'm not doing a flavored bourbon. Like it's not bourbon. I'm not doing it. But then Donis found a way around this whole like flavored deal where he dumped out a bunch of barrels that were meant for small batch. And then he cut up the barrels into little chips that are about like an inch and a half okay. big. Um, and then he sent off the, the uh, chips with a boatload of wildflower honey from Burleson's uh, honey in oh. Waxahachie, Texas. Okay. Um, and they pressure infuse these chips with this honey. And then they send it back, and the chips smell amazing. Like, I have a little bag of them okay. at home, and sometimes I just, like, open it up and, like, smell it. It smells so good. Um, and then for seven months, we steep these chips in the bourbon. Yum. So it's a legitimate honey infusion yeah. rather than us just throwing honey in there all willy-nilly. And making a flavored exactly. bourbon. Yeah. So when we were developing this product... Um, I was working in production uh, at that time, and Donis went out and bought the top 10 with honey, whiskeys, and liqueurs. Uh, and he had all of us try them okay. and write down what we liked and what we didn't like. And across the board, all of us were like, this is too sweet. I feel sticky from head to toe. My mouth, it feels like... I need it, to brush my teeth. Yeah. It's, it's very sugary. Mm -hmm. Very sugary. Uh, yeah. And it was... All of us felt horrible the next day. Yeah. Um, so... We wanted it to be bourbon first. So when you taste our honeydew, it is absolutely 100% Garrison Brothers bourbon, but then you just get a little kiss of wildflower honey. It's not on overpowering. The it's not it's, it's yeah. not a flavored yeah. thing. It's, it's and I have some here for you Oh, somewhere. cool. I've brought some from HD my... HD honeydew. Yes. It's from my little special so we, stash. So we have, a, we have a little special stash mm -hmm. that we'll be sipping here. So, okay, so there's one, two, three, four. That's the fourth one. Mm -hmm. And what's... So we also have our cowboy bourbon. What's is this one? And what's that? So Cowboy is a compilation what of... Color, what color wax, real quick? It is gold. Okay. It is gold now. Um, if you find an older release of Cowboy, it's black. But um, in the past couple of years, we've transitioned to gold. Okay. Um, it is a marriage of our oldest barrels on the ranch. So here in Texas, due to the heat, um, we have a 14% evaporation rate a year. So we lose 14% of our product. Per barrel. Per barrel. Wow. So we are, we're already using smaller barrels. We're using 15 and 30-gallon barrels, mm -hmm. um, which are significantly smaller than your traditional 53-gallon hogshead barrel, right. as they call them. So by the time that we're ready to... Our bourbon matures, is ready to go around four years. And by the time we hit that mark, it, it's half gone. So people ask us all the time, like, why aren't you oh, doing wow, a 10-year-old? Right. Why aren't you doing a 15-year-old? And we're like... Boy, do we wish we could. Yeah, like, then I don't have to explain the difference between maturity and age. <laughs> but um, You can apply that to anywhere in life. Yes, you can. Like I'm 40, but I feel like a lot younger. <laughs> yeah, I make, I make memes for a living to do a podcast. Yeah, how mature is that? And I'm sipping bourbon at 2.30. There you go. On a Thursday. I mean, it sounds like a great day to me. It's not bad. I'm yeah. not complaining. Um, but our cowboy... Um, is a marriage of our barrels that are like six, seven, and eight years old that are only going to give us like a handful of bottles. They're only going to give us like four bottles out of there. That's it? That's it. So wait, you brought you brought some? I did. I did bring some for you. We released 6,000 bottles a year uh, to the world. This is last year's. Uh, it's uncut and unfiltered. So when you buy a bottle of Cowboy, there's a good chance you're going to have some little floaties in there. That's just barrel char. Um, and we also don't proof it down with our rainwater. So we let the bourbon gods decide what the proof is every year. What's this proof? So right the here? one that you have was last year. It was 130. 
The year before that was 138. The year before that was 136. Do you enjoy? So, do you enjoy that? Cowboy is you can grab a fl- uh, fresh glass from that if you would like. Eh, I'll, uh, I'll wash this. <laughs> I'm a cowboy over here. I don't do that. Um, the short answer is so cowboy is um, a beautiful bourbon, but I I personally can't drink a lot of it at a time. Well, one third as proof. you should. I mean, yeah. well, I'm not going to tell people what they should do. Obvi- like if you buy a bottle of Garrison Brothers, you should drink it uh, a lot and fast. I'm with you. So, but. Um, Cowboy is one of those bourbons that is really good if you decant it and let it open up. Um, when you do that, oxygen is literally getting into your bourbon and changing the chemistry okay. of what's going in there. So it's um, causing everything to oxidize a little bit, which is really good. You want that to happen, but you don't want it to over-oxidize. But when you allow it to do it a little bit, a lot of uh, fruity and floral esters will come forward. It smells good. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very, mm-hmm. uh, it's a strong smell, but it's, it's, it's yeah. good. I mean, the bourbon that's left in these barrels that have been aging for so long, it's like, it's like bourbon syrup. It is oh, extremely wow. packed full of sweetness and oak and it's little very, spicy. It is very oaky and spicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. It is super good and it has a huge cult following. Uh, when we release Cowboy, we do it, obviously we do it every September. Uh, once a year, and 6,000 bottles is all we have for the world. So we usually will sell 1,000 of them from the ranch right here really? where we are. And people will line up starting at 8 p.m. the night before that we release it. And we'll have a line going all the way down High Albert Road until the cops basically are like, what did we tell you last year? Like, you can't be doing this. But people... We've been drinking Cowboy. We it. don't know. We forget. Yeah, but people want it. They line up for it. Tell me about how the... the I, I, because I feel like... I don't know. I'm I'm not a mathemati- mathematician. <laughs> so I feel like seven years ago, bourbon just started kind of picking up. You know yeah. what I mean? So tell me about the demand and kind of the, 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 the following that y'all are seeing over at Garrison Brothers. And I guess kind of, I guess, how y'all are responding to that? I mean, we are just extremely lucky here at Garrison. I mean, we people... Like once we have this saying at the company, we call it liquid to lips (laughs) Um, because it's an expensive bottle. I mean, a bottle of small batch is 85 bucks. It is. And then it goes up from there. Uh, And we fully understand that, but we believe it's worth it. So so people see that. So people see Texas bourbon, right? And they're mm -hmm. seeing this and they're like, man, Garrison Brothers price point is a little bit too much. However, there's a lot behind that price. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? First off, the, the... the people that are involved have been here for a long time. Yeah. You know, there's a history here mm-hmm. where you're sourcing your product and it's a very fine bourbon. So I think it mm-hmm. justifies those price points. Yeah. And once you try it, you get it. You get it. Once exactly. you come out here, you get it. Yeah. Um, but for people just to take that first sip, it's the first step. And we've been incredibly lucky that people try it and they're like, wow, this is really good. And then you have the rise of Texas bourbon, um, we, which you, we, um, I'm, part of the Texas Whiskey Association and And you're a board a board member on that, correct? I'm on their compliance board. Okay. So cool. I'm who you have to talk to when you want to be on a Texas the stamp. Be like have the stamp. Wow. Um I do it with a couple other people and uh it is I mean the amount of distillery once we started the organization, the amount of people that did not make their product before and were like, whoa, like this group has power started making their product now is huge well that's kind of cool like, though because it kind of imp- cool. it improves the uh it improves the it actually gives a lot of um uh, uh clout to yeah. texas bourbon you know what i mean so it's mm-hmm. like you know we pass off this we slap the label on this what we purchased from uh, ohio was it 
Illinois, Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. So it kind of brings a certain level of cloud. Like, you know, it's Kentucky bourbon. Mm-hmm. This is Texas, Texas bourbon. Yeah. So it kind of brings a certain level of, uh, uh, you know what I mean? And it's so different than Kentucky bourbon. Like, I mean, in one word, Texas bourbon is bold. Like, it is, I find it to be significantly more f- flavorful in, yeah. than Kentucky bourbon generally is. That is. is that because of the, the process for it to age in Texas because mm-hmm. the weather is a lot quicker? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's all about the aging process. Yeah, I wonder where I learned that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, and also as someone that lived in Connecticut and then moved down here, I think you can speak to this as well. There is a, just an aura about Texas that people are interested in. And there's the culture, oh, yeah. the attitude. Like people It's are a state just, of mind. Exactly. And everybody is kind of like, oh, like Texans down there in their little yeehaw bubble. But then they see all these products that are like Texan um, and they're like, well, what's going on down there? And especially with the rise of like Tito's, which I mean, it's huge now. It's actually huge. a friend in uh, Connecticut who actually mm-hmm. has been working for Tito's up in New York, I think. Yeah, it is. I mean, the Tito's has brought all this attention to Texas and their spirits. And then, of course, you have um, distillers like Garrison Brothers and Balcones and Treaty Oak and Iron Root and like uh, Andalusia and all these people that are being written about in all of these magazines and winning all these awards like we are, it's all over the place. Actually, in Forbes uh, recently, uh, they named Texas uh, Texas whiskey as one of the top trends to look for this year. Really? Yeah. Um, people are just finding it fascinating. It's something different what's, than what they're used to. Well, it's kind of, I don't even know if you can do this in the bourbon industry, but, was, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it, in this industry, obviously, time, you, you can't mess with time. Mm-hmm. Time's there. Time's a constant. Mm-hmm. You really can't age something faster than you know. So with, with this huge influx of interest and huge people like getting into bourbon, you know, it's yeah. become like there's Facebook groups out there. There's this. There's trades and all that stuff. So getting into something like this, um, how do you guys plan to? I mean, uh, to not, I guess, have a knee jerk reaction with the demand and mm-hmm. to keep the product constant and uh, to the level of standards that uh, Dan uh, Garrison. Uh, yeah. has. I mean, is that something that y'all th- need to be conscious of or is it just like, absolutely. no, this is how we do business here? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, we will never sacrifice the quality of our product at right. the end of the day. We are, I mean, we have been looking at the trends and have taken the proper routes to prepare for the rise of Garrison Brothers and Texas Bourbon ultimately by by quadrupling production in 2018. So, so all of that bourbon that we started making then is going to be ready starting next year and the oh year yeah. after. Um, and we started filling 53-gallon barrels uh, to kind of see what happens then um, and how that's going to affect the aging process. Because when you have that smaller barrel, it's a completely... It's a. It's not a different process, but you're getting different flavors pulled out of it. When you have the larger barrel, I mean, everything just changes. So. So you know what's cool about this, everyone. So uh, we were talking, and we we saw the the butcher mm-hmm. uh, drive by with some 53 gallon barrels and all that stuff. And you know, Emma started saying, she's like, you know, we're actually this is we're trying this out. We're trying this out. And I was, you know. Me, I was like, aren't, aren't you guys nervous about that? Like, you're trying this new process, new size barrel, and you were like, well, we're actually kind of mixing the two. Like, but we're, mm-hmm. we are trying this out. This much percent of the bourbon is going to this, and you're like, we're gonna try it out. We're just gonna yeah. see what happens. We're gonna figure it out. We're gonna I figure mean, it out. At the end of the day, 53 gallon barrels are gonna give you more product. So it may be a longer aging process, but uh, it's a shift that we kind of had that, you're pr- that we had to for. make. Um, so we're seeing how it goes. Um, and 
uh, we're hoping it's going to work out. Are you seeing, I mean, that's the only thing you can do, right? Are you, I mean, time will tell. Yeah. Are, you, are you seeing, and I'm trying the honey, honeydew, honeydew mm-hmm. right now, and I hope you don't mind me going through your purse. No, no, I brought this for you guys. So the B is obviously Balmeray, then we Ooh, have our honeydew, our cowboy, and then I actually brought you a sample of our uh, high rye bourbon Ooh. as well, which we only released, we only had 12 barrels of it, we released it last year, and you can't get it anymore. So. You're hearing that around the Rotary and the Garrison <laughs> Brothers with Emicon. So, so I guess with what what trends are you seeing out there in the industry right now when it comes to the bourbon? Because obviously it's just picking up. I mean, is it still is that rise still oh, there? Absolutely. That's that steep. Yeah, um, I read a fascinating book recently called um, Pappy Land, and it was written by uh, a writer from ESPN. So okay. it has a di- little bit of a different view what than writer? like. Um, his name is Wright something, right? I don't know. I wouldn't know. Uh, I'm just I joking. I feel around. awful. Um, but well, he's not a listener, so it's okay. <laughs> you never know. Uh, you never know. We'll probably listen to this actually. Yeah. Um, but he was writing about uh, basically the rise of Pappy, the the brand Pappy Van Winkle, and he wrote about the Van Winkle family and how I mean this fa- poor family I mean was just like kicked to the curb with Stitzel Weller and not being able to sell a drop, and then they were bought. They had to sell it, and then basically they were bought by Stitzel Weller. Uh, they were bought by another company, and then they were ultimately bought by Diageo. And Diageo took all of these Pappy barrels and threw them into Crown Royal. Okay. Which is like, I mean, yeah. obviously it's Canadian whiskey. Yeah. Um, and then in the early two thousand, in the two thousands, and then we move into like this day and age where Pappy is the most sought after bourbon can't in the world. It. You can't find it anywhere. It's extremely expensive. Extremely expensive. Um, for a shot. Because they all these barrels were gone. Uh, so it's a it, question of supply and demand. Also, it's well, good. I think it's good. Buffalo too. Trace is currently currently making more Pappy. I love Buffalo they, Trace. Yeah, um, and supposedly, according to this book, um, Julian Van Winkle is pretty happy with what they're doing. Can you? But t- um, I mean, with the like, I feel like Pappy is a really wonderful example of people's interest in bourbon because it went from nothing to this. Like, they won um, a huge award, and all of a sudden, it was like oh my goodness, like, where can I get this? And then you have all these other bourbons coming out that have a similar model, or not necessarily with Pappy, which I used to say all the time that Pappy is the most brilliant marketing scheme in the world, but until I read this book, that's like, oh, like, there's literally, like, none of this. Like, like they're not just, like, purposefully releasing a little bit at a time. There's just none. Like, that, it may be the story it's going called forward. It's called Pappy Land? Pa- yeah, that was the book. Okay. Um, but you have all these other bourbons that are coming out and uh from all these huge distilleries that have special releases and that people want to covet and collect um and just know more about this little piece of americana yeah like, of american history um and it is just wild and as i told you earlier it's like this isn't your grandma this isn't your grandfather's bourbon anymore like this is not just like what they used to drink it's a it's a passion it's a lifestyle like it and it is blown up and with the rise of the craft industry as well people want to go local i was going to say i mm-hmm. bet that would make your job a little more harder because it's not like the people that like bourbon are like casual like oh yeah uh, i'll take whatever you know mm-hmm. just like vodka like oh you don't have this i'll just take this it seems like the people that this is a hobby this is a passion so i would assume that your job has probably gotten a lot more um intricate yes because you do have to know certain things and actually mm-hmm. going back to pat there is a a, a, a distill. Uh, the copper yeah the, the, there's something here that has a little history from um, uh, Kentucky correct 
Yeah, the so first our one. first still, uh, who we call the Copper Cowgirl, yep. um, Dan actually bought her from Elmer T. Lee. Um, and the copper, uh, it was um, Mr. Lee's test still. And he developed many of the beautiful bourbons that Buffalo Trace makes, uh, including Blanton's, on that still. So we're super lucky to have her. Um, all of our stills are direct replicas of the Copper Cow Girl. Different sizes, though. Much larger scale. What's your feel on the whole Blanton's? I like Blanton's. It's also a weeded bourbon, um, which I have that weird gene where uh, rye tastes like dill. By the way, this um, this 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 honeydew is extremely good. It it's is very good. it's like a it's refreshing dangerous. bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so a lot of rye, which unfortunately rye is the traditional grain to use right. in bourbon. Like with bourbon, unless you find a four grain bourbon, which is coming, which has become very popular, um, you're always going to have corn because that's federally mandated. You're always going to have barley. Um, for the most part, you're going to see people using barley because barley will convert starch into sugar, yep. which you need for fermentation. Um, and then people will pick a third flavoring grain, and they're either going to pick rye or they're going to pick wheat. Um, it wasn't until the rise of like Pappy Van Winkle and Weller and um, Maker's Mark, yeah. uh, with Maker's Mark, you see the rise of the weeded bourbon. Okay. Uh, so you don't think it's like this whole vuv? Like I feel like I, I always say Blanton's with dudes is like vuv with like you know like brunchers. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, do you like Blanton's? You just getting it because it's like the cool thing to do because it's like the uh, oh yeah Blanton's. Like you I know feel what I mean? like there's a little bit of both. Do you feel like it's yeah. that good or it's like man? There's a lot of other stuff we on that level. Steal Dan's bottle. I do see it do right. See it? I do see it right there. Yeah, <laughs> no, I would love. Would, no, I would love to me. steal from Dan Garrison at Garrison <laughs> Brothers property after doing a tour and meeting all the amazing folks oh here. God. Yeah, I just, no. I just want to steal um, something. I mean, Blanton's is super good. Uh, I like it. I personally like it a lot. And I, I, I mean, I love this industry for uh, the culture and the history. And like, I'm a total nerd and love like the science. And as much as I loved. Um, making the product and I loved having my hands on everything like what I do now as a bourbon educator um is just super fun and the the culture surrounding stuff like Blanton's is just wild I mean you have all these people looking for these little caps so they can have like, yeah, the whole spell, like spell deal yeah. and um everybody it's, it's a niche yeah so 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 if I'm a novice, so for I am a novice bourbon drinker. I love bourbon. I love how kind of this podcast kind of turned into this, which kind of led me reaching out to y'all, and y'all mm-hmm. graciously accepted to actually host us and have us on. Thank you. If I'm a novice bourbon drinker and I don't really know it, but I want to get into it, what kind of steps would you kind of advise people out there to kind of look out for? Like, you know, what like how would one get into um, this 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 hobby? Honestly, I mean. Buying bottles can be extremely expensive. Um, the way once I started really getting into the bourbon industry um, with my first job in Dallas, there was an Irish pub around the corner for me that had this amazing whiskey selection. They were called Trinity Hall. Okay. And I would go in there all the time and I would just buy pours so I could try things. And eventually, like, they just started giving me, like, fun stuff just right. to try because I'd been in there so much. But... It's a little more, like when like so a pour of Garrison Brothers is usually anywhere between twelve and like eighteen dollars okay. for when you go out to get like small batch. Um, 
that's a little more manageable than buying than just like diving down the rabbit hole to eighty five dollars something that you're not sure that you're yeah, gonna buy. Yeah. So when you go to the like all these whiskey bars are popping up all over the country. Oh yeah. Um, and they're hugely popular. So just going into your local like whiskey bar and just being like, hey, like I want to try, I want to try a weeded bourbon today, or I want to try something from Texas. I want to try something out of Colorado or uh, from the Northeast. So pretty much it's okay to walk in someplace and say, hey, look, I really kind of don't know what I'm talking about, but mm-hmm. I enjoy it. I don't know what I enjoy about it. You guide me. Yeah. And that's kind of how we're going to find kind of what works with you, what doesn't work with you. And that's kind of when you kind of, I guess, maybe go might go down that path. Yeah. And then once you start to find things that you really like, then... Um then you can start going down the like, okay, I'm ready to buy a bottle of this. I'm ready to buy a bottle of that. And you can learn like, I really love bourbons made with a high rye content or I'm really loving bourbons that are coming out of like the, the mountains of Colorado. Like, and then you can start to dive a little deeper. So especially for like Texas bourbon, I mean, there's so much to try. So when you get, once you, start to figure out like oh man i'm really into this whole texas bourbon craze then you can dig a little deeper yeah and start trying everything else and i mean like for us in particular we have just an entire lineup of different uh like different um expressions that we've done different finishes uh different ways that we've innovated uh this time tradition of bourbon um and you could just it just keeps going and so y'all have done a tremendous job. I've, so I, I highly recommend everyone to check out Garrison Brothers uh, Distillery on uh, uh, Instagram. They do a lot of, y'all pair up with a lot of different uh, companies, mm-hmm. whether it's ice cream, local companies too, to kind of promote yeah. their brand and y'all's too, which I think is phenomenal. Like you just did one with an ice cream company. McConnell's yeah, out of exactly, California. Exactly. Oh, it was so good. It was a pecan praline bourbon. Oh my God. Ice cream. So phenomenal. Yeah. It was it was amazing and it was written up like in the New York times and like all this stuff. And like McConnell's had what was not expecting how popular it was going to be. And the, they were did one batch and they released it and it sold out and we were, and before they could really do any marketing for it. It just picked up and gone. You know, what's interesting too. It's like, so my wife and I will we'll come here a lot with a couple of customers, but it's to Fredericksburg. And you notice that the, 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 the like, it's a se- it's behind Napa Valley. It's the mm-hmm. second most whatever winery. I call this area Texas Napa. Ex- me too. Yeah. So, so you got the so not only that, not only you have the wineries here, but you also you have a huge bourbon presence here now. The Garrison mm-hmm. Brothers, like it's it's not one of those things like oh yeah, it's a Texas. Bourbon. It's a serious contender right now because y'all have won a lot of awards in the past yeah. for y'all's bourbon. So I guess what what would be I guess the next trend for people to look out to? What do you kind of what are you seeing out there that people mm-hmm. kind of, that bourbon lovers should kind of be looking out for? Yeah. And oh, first off, real quick, that honeydew was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. That cowboy one was very, that's one of those things that you do open it up and kind of pour a little bit and enjoy. Yeah. Not too much because, mm-hmm. yeah. It'll knock you on your ass. Get, oh. get on your saddle, all right. And you can say ass. Okay. You can say shit. You can say whatever you want here. Right. <laughs> no one listens. So uh, what's this HR? So that was our high rye bourbon. That was a very special release that we did last November. Um, and you can find all these in stores, correct? You cannot find the high rye oh this is exclusive yeah okay the rest of them you can find um but the high rye was an experiment that donis did years ago to try to develop a rye bourbon i love you'll just experiment so um it was 53 percent corn uh 37 wheat uh sorry 36 wheat and then 11 barley um so uh we just wanted to see what would happen however (coughs) whoa I like it. <laughs> it's actually um, good. Yeah, it's super good. Uh, we didn't make a lot of it, though, because 
Uh, Donis is an extremely, he's very superstitious. Um, you will never find a barrel 666 out there. Thank okay. you. I'd You'll never the, find bottle 666. I'm the same, it. I, get, I dig uh, it. Yeah, he'll skip it. Um, there was one time one of our production operators who was new, he accidentally cooked like 666. He didn't skip it. And Donis made us go back into our computer system and change it. Well, first <laughs> off, for those out, have you? why would you even make it a 666 batch? I mean, have you never seen The Omen? Do you understand what's going to happen? You know what I mean? You're going to get yeah. the hounds from hell. You're going to get Damien. Like, you don't want to get yeah, the Yeah, you don't want to mess ass. with it. So. You don't want to mess with the Mark of the Beast. Yeah. So Donna says his... Uh, this is good, little, though. It, yeah. It's very, However, you, you everything some, broke when we made it. You right? Taste, you taste a little corn. A lot of yeah, corn, too. I like it. a lot of corn. Um, yeah, rye is already... It's a very young grain, and it's very temperamental to work with. Um, like, it, you need... When you're cooking, you need anti-foaming agents because it will, like, foam over. And um, it is just... Like, distilling can be difficult with it sometimes. So, uh, we were only managed to produce 12 barrels in That's, that run. And I just tried one? And you just tried one. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, real quick. So, going back to the... What, what trends are you seeing right now? What's, what's, yeah. what's on the horizon for for Texas bourbon that you're kind of seeing, because it sounds to me like you're on the forefront. You're part of all these groups. You know, you like, you know, like you're actually, you y'all give the stamp of approval pretty much for Texas bourbon. So what are you kind of seeing uh, trends out there for bourbon enthusiasts that mm-hmm. bourbon lovers, what should they be looking out for? I think we're going to be seeing many more finished bourbons. What do you mean? So using a secondary barrel to add some kind of overlay to it. So we're about to release a port finished bourbon. Um, which is super exciting. We're going to release it this summer. Um, it was aged three years in our white oak barrels, and then it was finished for just over about a year and a half in uh, port wine barrels from Spain, um, which cool. is going to be great. Um, when is that happening? This summer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in a we couple have, months. Yeah, right okay. around the corner. And so this is, uh, I'm trying your favorite now. That's the Balmeray. Balmeray. our double barrel bourbon. We've also done a French oak finished bourbon. Uh, it was aged for four years in white oak and then an additional four years in French oak, which I French see. oak barrels, uh, we got them from uh, the limousine forest of France, which is predominantly used for aging. The wood is predominantly used for aging cognac and armagnac, and it's prized for the fact that um, it contains a super high vanillin content. So that sounds so good. It is really good. And what it, is that called? Uh, it's called Laguna Madre. So it can is. You, can you can you find that? Not at the moment. Okay. We released it last year. We did a huge fundraising effort for uh, COVID relief. We called it Crush COVID nineteen, um, and uh, we did all these different donation packages that people could do, and we donated to Team Rubicon, and also uh, we gave money back to bartenders that were in service industry uh, people that were out of work, decimated. Yeah. So we have a lot of money back to that. Uh, but if you donated $1,000, you got a bottle of Laguna Madre, a bottle of Honeydew, a, bot- a boot flask bottle, a small batch, which is like a pint, pint uh, and then a piece of swag from our gift shop that you could choose. So um, that was the only way that people have gotten Laguna Madre so far. Um, but we're going to release it to market this year. But that creates a lot of gossip, though. Another cool part about this, y'all have a wall of badass. Mm-hmm. Our you wall know what of I mean? So, so Garrison Brothers, not only do they do, is, is it very philanthropic and they, and they support, you know, lo, you know the, the communities around here and, you know, as you said, bartenders and all that stuff. But you also very heavily support uh, veterans mm-hmm. as well, too. I mean, you, so in the fermentation, fermentation room, mm-hmm. 
I know, I know. In the fermentation <laughs> room, um, there's a wall of badass, and there's a sign above there, and I'll post the picture too on the uh, on Instagram. And it's pretty much every branch that's in the yeah. patches come from where. We have people from all branches of the military, first responders, police, uh, like police and fire, EMS. Um, they'll send us patches from all over the country. Um, and, and, the employees, where, and the employees here are veterans. Mm-hmm, right? A lot of a our lot employees of are veterans as well. Um, we are uh, huge supporters of of the men and women that right. have devoted their lives to keeping this country safe. Um, and if us simply putting one of their patches on the wall to be forever remembered is something that is going to make people smile and just bring attention to it, then we are absolutely going to continue doing it. Well, and so, plus if you slap a badass name to it, like the yeah. wall of badass, I think people respect that mm-hmm. a little bit more too. We have some, I mean, I encourage people to come out to Garrison and just look at it. We have some really amazing patches from every branch of the military all over the world, like they're, and they're fun. I'll like, tell you what, send your patches here if you're if you've served. Send them here and maybe yeah, we'll them up. Yeah, no, seriously, if you mail your patches to the Garrison Brothers uh, Distillery, we will put them up for sure. Um, Ooh. But. So I am trying your favorite, the Balmeray. Yes, mm-hmm. and I can see this is very good. <laughs> And I wish I had, I wish it was, I wish it was like a small yeah where I could be like oh I, I taste notes of this but it's it, it is a sweeter side to it mm-hmm. but it's um I feel like you're waiting on me to say no it's okay I I can't it's, it, I can't describe it's good it's it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a lighter finish but it, it it's also strong yeah yeah it also no hits. It's, I like that yeah it's a really beautiful bourbon I love it so much so you think the next step the next trend in mm-hmm. uh, the bourbon industry would be the different that, finishes different and finishes. also one trend that i am particularly fascinated with is a lot of distilleries are starting to use um different types of grains so um iron root republic distilling which is up in denison texas which is about an hour north of dallas they use all these different corn varietals in in their bourbon and they uh so they're mixing white corn with other other white corn purple corn hamachi like all this other all this super fun stuff and um so i am the texas ambassador for bourbon women uh which is a obviously a female run organization for women not only in the industry but just women that are passionate about bourbon so how and uh, what is it called again so the uh the organization is called bourbon women bourbon women and one of our uh original members and kind of founders of this Texas branch is Marsha Licorice, who is the um, matriarch That's of Iron Root. Yes. I love that. Uh, matriarch of Iron Root. And it's her and her two sons that run this distillery. And they are doing just wild innovation. And I was in Dallas a couple of weeks ago before Snowmageddon. And uh, I called Marsha and I'm like, please let me on the property. Like, please like, let me come play for a day. And she was like, of course, like, come on out. <laughs> so I got to spend the day with them and they let me just like, I told, uh, Robert, uh, one of her sons, I'm like, I'm really interested in all these like corn differences. So they're just using uh, various d- type, like just like random, uh, corns and all mm-hmm. to, to tr- try new things. Yeah. He let me try, um, a couple single barrels. Each barrel was made with a different 100%. It was 100% corn whiskey, and each barrel was a different varietal of corn. Uh, and it was 
it blew my mind. It was so different. Like each one was so different. And a lot of people are doing this with bourbon and corn whiskey and all that good stuff. But you're seeing it a lot in the rye industry as well. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of distilleries like that are coming out of like way up north where rye grows um, that like they're making all this phenomenal rye whiskey. It's like each one is different. I feel like Garrison Brothers, it's a, it's a staple, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely one of the first, it's, it is the first uh, Texas uh, bourbon distillery since the Prohibition. Um, I feel like it's a staple. So with all these other bourbon, Texas bourbons popping up and all this stuff, I mean, is this one of those things where it's like, hey, like, is it like podcasts? You're like, hey, I don't really don't give a shit how many podcasts out there. I love it all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or is it one of those things like, we got to watch out for this, people. We need to actually start, you know market yeah. this way or I mean is, does it excite you or is it kind of like okay well let's focus again on this marketing I mean what what, what does it do for you seeing all this like this surge of distilleries I think it's up? a little of both I mean luckily I mean Garrison Brothers is is a super premium bourbon oh yeah um, we're and there isn't that much that is kind of they're starting to kind of come up, but a lot of it just ha- isn't there yet. Yeah. Um, so, and we do have the appeal of us being the first and uh, using all the like all the grain that we use. Our barrels are custom made for us, and all this good yeah. stuff. So, um, that is a lot of it, and we're doing a huge push for like. Texas bourbon made by Texans. Um, but that's kind of which, what you're. That's kind of what you're promoting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the, the the board you're on, and you're making sure that if yeah. you say Texas bourbon, it, it better, better be, be Texas here. bourbon. Exactly. Um, personally, I find everything just super exciting. The, the bourbon industry, especially in Texas, like everybody just wants to help each other because at the end of the day, if Ironroot is making something with purple corn and they're like killing it, and then it's like, whoa, we have to step our game up if we want to. Yeah. Like, it's a friendly competition. Yeah. It's not like a, oh, shit, kind of moment. It's like, a, okay, like, what are we going to do next to kind yeah. of, like, to continue that innovation? And you know what's cool about this, too? It seems like the Texas bourbon scene is relatively young. Extremely. Right? It's extremely young. So you're going to see a lot of innovation. You're going to see a lot of new things. You're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of, you're going to see a lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, Evolution, if you want to call Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Mean, I'm, I'm excited for that. I really am. Yeah. I'm excited. I mean, every time someone brings a bottle of Garrison Brothers, I'm like, I'm, I get pumped. And actually, that's how this started. I mean, y'all are very engaging, too. So I used to tag Garrison Brothers in a lot of posts. And next thing you know, someone's chiming back on me, like, hey, thanks for the post. Like, enjoy and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And that's kind of how this podcast came to be. It's like, well, my wife and I are going to be up in uh, in Fredericksburg. So let's let's do this. And here comes your mom right now. Hi, Mom. Hello. My mother Sorry. works here, too. It's Her mother fun. works here, too. So it is a family. Uh, it is a family uh, Sandwich, thing. Yes. <laughs> She's eating lunch. Make sure you pair that with a nice uh, honeydew bourbon. Uh, if they would let me, I would. <laughs> we'll talk to them. We'll talk to them here. So, um, is there anything you'd like to else just? I know we're coming up on an hour twenty four minutes. I'm serious. I could probably sit here another two hours and talk to you. Um, what, what else can we? Uh, do you want to bring up or discuss or kind of a message you want to get out there to the to the bourbon community or actually people maybe chiming in that aren't even in the bourbon community that just want to listen to this? I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, just preaching like just Texas bourbon is here to stay and please give it a chance because it is truly different. You, it is one of the most unique pockets in the bourbon industry that's been around for uh, hundreds of years. Like, and we're finally innovating. We're finally innovating. And, um, Garrison Brothers has just been leading this charge and I'll tell you, uh, full force and very proudly in cowboy boots and a, and a cowboy hat saying, uh, that we are Texas and we are here to stay. Um, I mean, our people, I'm trying to 
coin this new Wait, idea. Are we, are we starting? Are we starting a trend right now? Yes, I'm going to tell you. Let's one start of my, a trend. One of my trend. Let's start. Uh, besides, for number one, there's a difference between ma- maturity and aging, which we've talked about. But number two uh, is this idea I'm trying to get across to people. That's called social terroir. Terroir is a French word that when you boil down, it's very popular in wine. Je propose it. Yeah. Uh, uh, ultimately, when uh, it's a very complex word that's hard to describe in English, but ultimately it means environment. Um, it's how your environment plays into your product. So social terroir is the idea. You got to pull it the other way. Yeah. First off, don't ever correct me on my podcast. <laughs> no, go on. Uh, so, so, so pretty much what I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm trying to trying open up a single, this. single barrel mm-hmm. to try this before we conclude. So social terroir. Social terroir is the idea of why do your grandmother co- grandmother's cookies taste so much better than everybody else's despite them being the same recipe on the back of the Toll House bag that everybody has access to. It's because she made them. It's because it was the person that made it. Um, and as you've noticed, the people that work here are... Well, I'm going to talk about that. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that. They're just phenomenal people that have poured blood, sweat, and tears into this bourbon and truly live. They live Garrison Brothers bourbon. And um, you can taste it. You can taste the passion in there. Well, I'll tell you one thing. So my wife and I came out. This is the first distillery I've ever been to, okay? But walking around here, first off, your dog comes running up, and you're like, some lady comes up. She's like, hey, what's going on? You're like, oh, this is my mom, by the way. I mean, there's there's such a sense of like, first off, it's very down to earth, but it's also you see a lot of people that are very passionate about what they do. Mm -hmm. And you also see a lot of people that, okay, well, he he used to do this three years ago. Now he's doing this now now he's gonna do this like there's a lot of movement so people understand from the ground up you know mm-hmm. what i mean so the, the the community is definitely here and it seems like such a great i mean i was talking to you i'm like you live in austin and uh, emma came up and i said you know thanks for taking the time to do this like are we rushing your schedule and she, her response is no the, the fact i get to get up here and hang out at the, the the ranch and see my friends and all that stuff like that's what it's all about mm-hmm. and um I appreciate how serious y'all take uh, take the process and take bourbon, take your quality and control, and uh, just kind of what y'all do to the community. So y'all have a great team up here, and you really can take. It's not one of those things where it's like, oh, Texas bourbon, slap something on it. What you're doing for the Texas bourbon scene, the Texas spirit scene, whether it's Texas wine, all that stuff, I think is awesome. I mean, you're actually making standards where this label means something. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it means something we made in Texas, and I think what you're doing right now. Coming from Connecticut, Yankee, I think it's awesome. I really do. And I appreciate, uh, first off, I appreciate the hospitality here. And I think if anyone's, anyone's in the area and if anyone wants to get out of wherever city you're in, whether it's Midland, Dallas, Houston, wherever you're listening from and actually come visit, I highly recommend this place because it's laid back. People are great. Bourbon's phenomenal. And, uh, and just learn about the process. Yeah, we're doing tours again. We're open. Come see us. We're doing tours uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. At the moment, and come support and, too. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure COVID kind of uh, dropped some some visitors numbers mm-hmm. off, but I mean, yeah. at the same time, yeah, come support. Yeah, and it's also uh, wildflower season's right around the corner, so come out and see some wildflowers with us. You can hang out in our hospitality area uh, and have some bourbon we'll and take, look at some blue bonnets. Take a tour first, so you understand what you're talking about. Yeah, Emma, is there anything else I can touch on right now, or is there anything else we can discuss, or anything like that? I think I'm good. Do you have any final questions? I'm sure I do, but I don't know. <laughs> but Emma, I uh, thank you again, everyone. This is a uh, this is Emma Khan, the uh, Bourbon Crusader, who's on just promoting uh, 
promoting, uh, speaking about um, uh, Texas bourbons and what it's like to be in Texas. And uh, again, uh, she's over at Garrison Brothers. I'm sure we, we all know that by now. But again, what you're doing right now for the industry and what you're doing for Texas, I love it. I love the the, the passion y'all have here out at the ranch. And uh, thank you for taking the time and just bullshitting with us and actually having the same conversation twice because we <laughs> had the same conversation before. It's we my pleasure. Not a problem. I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed sitting here drinking bourbon and listening. And again, I could probably talk for another two hours, but I know I won't because we know uh, Monica's out there waiting for me. And plus, I don't get to a little bit. I don't get a little, Too toasty. Little, exactly. <laughs> but I will. But uh, thank you again so much, and uh, thank you for the time, and uh, just appreciate it. Of course. All right, everyone out there. Again, this is Emma Khan. If you uh, at Garrison Brothers Distillery, follow them on uh, Instagram. Um, where else can they find uh, Garrison Brothers? I mean, you can find like a Total Wine. Yeah. Specs. Oh, yeah. You can find pretty any, much any of your big box stores. Any liquor of course, store. support your, especially in 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 Texas. Like we're at most independent liquor stores at this point too, so you can go support your little mom and pops. And you know what? I challenge anyone out there who is a bourbon drinker. If you go out to a restaurant and next time you get a, a, a bourbon, whether it's on the rocks, neat, whatever. Try Garrison Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just try it, or or it for a customer, and then you try a little bit of theirs. But uh, I guarantee you, it's it's it, it packs a punch, and it's delicious, and it has more of a complex, bold flavor. I feel like than it does uh, K- the Kentucky bourbon. Absolutely. But that just me that just may be me after seven bourbons. <laughs> but that's not the point. So uh, Emma, thank you again for joining us on Round the Rotary, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch. And thank you everyone out there listening. Uh, and we'll link uh, Garrison Brothers and all that uh, when, when, once we post this. All right, y'all, take it easy, and thank you for listening to Round the Rotary with JP Long.